Hello and welcome to Roses Radio, Voices Saving Lives. This podcast is presented by Roses in the Ocean, an Australian-based national not-for-profit that's been founded in order to change the way suicide is spoken about, understood and prevented. We hope that by presenting lived experience stories along with the insights and wisdom of the courageous people who share them, we will help to dispel some of the myths about suicide, improving the suicide literacy of our communities and contributing to reducing the fear, discrimination and judgement that sadly still inhibits our ability to support others and seek help. At Roses in the Ocean we believe that most suicides are preventable and we need to be able to openly speak about suicide. So please, open your hearts and minds to the possibilities that a deeper understanding of suicide can bring to saving lives. All right. Welcome, Danica. Danica, is that how you pronounce it? Danica Gates? Danica, yeah. Danica. Where are you from, Danica? Are you, where do you live? Uh, I come from Tumby Bay on the Air Peninsula. What do you do in Tumby Bay? Uh, at the moment, yep. I am a mother of three. Yep. I'm also a teacher, but not working at the moment. You're here today to talk to and share your experience uh, with your brother, with your brother Matthew. What do you remember? Um, What's he like as a person? He, sorry. Don't apologise. Matthew was a very giving person. He would always help other people if they asked him. I just remember him always, always doing other things for other people, fixing motorbikes for other people or... Yeah. Yeah, um... Uh, Matthew was very, very intelligent and very musical. I think music was probably his go-to therapy. Yeah. That he played was he a part of any bands at high school or school? Oh, or Matthew you? played. Yeah, Matthew played music all through high school and was in in different bands. Yeah. What did he play? Guitar. Yeah. And he also sung. Is he a good, a good singer? You were saying that your yes. family's quite blessed with the vocal cords and... He was a good singer. <laughs> yeah. He was also a very dedicated member of the SES. He oh, really? lots and oh. lots of certificates um, in the SES. Yeah. I guess that's just another example of him, you know, trying to help and being a giving. people and be a giving person in the community. Yeah, amazing. Um, and so, are you comfortable if we talk about just the lead up to the event and sort of the, yeah. the, you know, what what the lead up to the event was and how you were feeling? So, with Matthew, there were several factors that contributed to his suicide. One was that he was severely bullied all through school, mm-hmm. which started in primary school. And basically it was just kids, you know, they started bullying him and then it just became a habit. And I think people bullied him for no real reason. It was just that everybody else did. Yeah. The way the education is, uh, the way the education system is, 
at the moment um, not a lot can be done about bullying, really. You know, bullying can go on and on with no... You know, there's there's no real reprieve for somebody who is is being bullied, especially now with social media too. You know, you, you go to school, you put up with bullying, you go home, put up with it on social media or on mobile phones or there's there's no way to get away from it and I think especially if it's written like if it's in a text message or something every single time that you read that text message it affects you you know it's not it's not like somebody saying something to you you know if somebody says says something to you once it doesn't have the same effect as you reading it over and over and over yeah Another thing that had happened with Matthew is he had uh, he was doing a building apprenticeship, and he what should happen with a building apprenticeship is if you get sort of laid off, the apprenticeship board is supposed to put you back into an apprenticeship. So he was, I think he was actually in his fourth year. He was nearly, nearly at the through. end. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then all of a sudden he he's, he didn't have an apprenticeship and, and he couldn't get one. So um, losing, you know, when you've put so much effort into finishing something and you get so close to the end and then all of a sudden, you you know, you, you, you don't have a job anymore, that has a massive impact and especially on a bloke, I think. Breakdown of relationship is another thing that affected Matthew. He uh, a long-term relationship had ended, um, and obviously, you know, Matthew didn't have the the right coping mechanisms to the right the right coping tools to to handle that. Is that something that Matthew did? Was did he ever talk to you, or did he talk to people about what he was going through? And communicate what he was feeling. I think in society in general, emotion is something that is not really encouraged. It's a lot of people find it really hard to to watch people be emotional and also find it difficult sometimes to even experience their own emotions. And especially... Um, it's even harder for men um, to express that emotion because there's a real stigma with if you if you show emotion. So no, Matthew, he was very closed. He was he wasn't he couldn't easily show emotion. Yeah, but I do. He was a very emotional person. Several things had happened. Six, six to 12 months before Matthew suicided and I think that at the time that he actually suicided it was, it was a lot of those things still affecting him and you know a lot of his friends and family really didn't want to interfere and didn't want to press him to see how he was because of how he was himself just I think I don't it was largely because the conversation um, the conversation is confronting 
you know, if you say to someone, how are you going, and they say, I'm not going so well, you know, it's leading into them possibly talking about the fact that they're feeling suicidal and, you know, that's, that's scary or it can be potentially very scary. How, how do you deal with that? So I think the, there weren't really any signs with Matthew. It was a, a massive shock. There weren't any really clear signs. The only couple of signs really that I can think of was he did isolate himself more. He was maybe a little bit more agitated than usual. And approximately a week before he did... um, Approximately a week before he didn't go to an event which he would usually go to, he said he didn't feel like it. But apart from that, there weren't really any real signs. Yeah. But... The risk factors were really clear in hindsight. If you look at all the things that were happening in his life, he had risk factors um, like bullying, losing his job, loss of relationship. They're, they're pretty solid losses. In hindsight, I think that, you know, if we had have really realised that those were risk factors for suicide, then we would have been a bit more pushy on asking him how he was going rather than than being respectful of him and, you know, just leaving him be. So let's talk about what happened afterwards and and how the family and the community dealt with with Matthew's passing. Losing Matthew to suicide was a massive shock for every friend every family member and everyone was affected in a very different way. From the moment that you realise that your loved one has taken their own life, everything changes. You know, I think every every one of us... um, were forever drastically changed from that very moment. Yep. The grief that comes from somebody taking their life is is different, in my opinion, to, you know, somebody dying from natural causes. I've had friends die at a young age um, from natural causes. And with suicide, it's just... (laughs) The closure, it's really hard to get closure because you just don't understand how it could happen um, or why it has happened. So Mm. the grief is deeper and it lasts for longer, I think. The reaction to Matthew dying by suicide in our small community was... It was quite interesting to experience. Yeah. There were many, um, basically, obviously, everybody sh- cared and they tried to show their support. But with something like suicide, I think people don't really know how to support you because mm. it's such a taboo subject that it's hard to talk about. You know, I, I had close friends that 
basically stopped talking to me because they didn't really want to talk about the content, um, which I which I understand because prior to my own lived experience, I probably would have felt the same. I, I wouldn't have wanted to talk about it because it is an uncomfortable topic. Yes. Some community members, you know, they they wanted to they wanted to bring the conversation up, but they but in doing so they asked really inappropriate questions that were really traumatising to family and friends of Matthew. One thing that I found after Matthew passed away was was people. A lot of people don't really understand the the depth of the grief and the impact that it's having on, you know, family and friends. It's it's such a deep grief and it's such a complicated grief because there's so much confusion. I mean, mm. there's shock, but there's also confusion. And for me personally, I couldn't really cope with it for a, a period of time and so people couldn't cope with me and my emotion and me not coping and you know some people said to me look you've got to move on with your life you know your brother died a year ago um y- you've got to get over it um and these sorts of comments uh, although there there was good meaning uh, good intention behind it they don't help they you know, they actually make it worse. They make you feel um, isolated. Um, because you're doing something... Because you felt like you were doing something wrong or grieving wrong or... Um, just the expectation that there's a certain way you should grieve and that there's a time period for grief. Within my family and, and, and Matthew's friends, everybody grieved completely different. You know, some people w- were were getting on with things almost immediately because that's how they coped. And yes. whereas other people like myself, I was um, really, you know, in a in a rut of grief for a period of time, and it had a huge effect on my, um, you know, my family, and it had a huge effect on my friends. It had a huge effect on my marriage. Um, but you know, everybody grieves differently um, and everybody should be allowed to grieve differently so I think that is really important in in a situation where somebody has passed away or somebody has passed away by suicide that you just give people space you know uh, support them be there for them to listen but don't tell them how to grieve losing someone to suicide has a huge emotional impact on on you and and for me as a mum it definitely you know affected me um I found it really difficult to get out of bed some days um and I've got three young children and so obviously that I had to and they dragged me out and they definitely helped me to move on and get on with things but in in another sense uh my grief definitely um you know, I wasn't being the absolute best mum that I could be, um, but I was doing the best job that I could do at the time and under the circumstances. Yeah. And how are, and how are things now? I struggled for a, quite a period of time 
with with Matthew's suicide and I became actually quite obsessive with with it and trying to find out sort of how how that how it had happened and why it had happened um and then I was speaking to a friend and she was talking to me about you know you know maybe you should start learning about suicide prevention to to put a positive you know to get a positive out of a negative um Mm. and I started doing some research trying to learn you know about why suicides occur why people have suicide we my sister and I ended up starting a suicide prevention network in our community wow yeah and started learning about um ways that we could educate the community because when when Matthew passed away I found that there was a real lack of knowledge about how to deal with people who had who had had an experience with suicide and it's just largely you know stigma and myth is is very much alive in in our communities and I think when you start setting up a suicide prevention network there are there is some fear for sure because of the because it is a um such a hard topic um but very much mostly um we've had a positive response um and it's it's slow but we are starting to get getting we are getting people contacting us if they um you know, they may have a friend that is, is suicidal or they've lost someone to suicide and they simply contact us and, and it's our job really to, um, you know, direct them to other services. Uh, having a suicide prevention network, it's definitely starting conversations. Yeah. And people... Um, we ha- we've had people coming to us to ask for information... When Matthew passed away, we weren't aware of organisations such as Stand By After Suicide. We sort of had to just deal with it ourselves and we sort of amongst ourselves talked about the fact that it would be good to have access to other people who have had a similar experience. Um, And it was approximately a year after that I learnt about Stand By After Suicide and I actually contacted them um, and it was really good to be able to talk to somebody who deals with uh, lived suicide experiences. Yes. And um, you can contact them any time after. It can be years after and uh, it is really helpful to, to talk to them. What can we start doing differently as a society that encourages people to ask different questions or better questions, and to ask if someone is okay. So for me, I really learnt with Matthew that he was clearly having some suicidal risk factors. Yes. Such as loss of relationship, loss of job, um, and being bullied as well. If I had have really realised, you know, that those those were risk factors for suicide, I would have made more of an effort to to talk to him about them. I think that it's important. You know, it's it's a good um, a good method to prevent suicide 
is to keep an eye out for risk factors within your family, within your friends. And if, if the risk factors are there, then talk to them. You know, if, if the relationship has broken up, check in on them. Yeah. But then check in on them a month later and then check in on them two months later. And any time that you feel that they need to be checked in on, check in on them because things can affect people for a long time and it may be six months later that they're still really affected and you may think that they're fine but actually, no, they're not coping at all. Losing a loved one is one of, the, one of life's hardest experiences and losing a loved one to suicide is possibly worse. When somebody has passed away, you've permanently lost a, a part of you forever and that's not something that you can get over. It's something that is going to stay with you forever. It's not something that you can move on from. The grief that comes with losing anyone that you love is is going you're going to carry it forever you just finding a, a way to cope is is the only way that you can move on from losing a loved one my advice to community members if somebody has passed away or somebody has suicided would be to give people time to grieve to to allow them to show emotion if they're upset mm -hmm. or if they're angry. Just let them feel how they want to feel. It might be difficult to watch. <laughs> um, I know that it can be very difficult even to cope with your own emotions, but you to be able to move forward, you have to move through the emotion. You can't bypass it. You can't avoid it. How do you get them positively out of that groove and, and still not neglecting the grief, but how do we then use that and start channeling that grief and start getting them moving forward in their life? It was partially my kids, but it was also actually allowing myself to really be in the grief. Okay, sure. Uh, to let myself feel the emotion as hard as it was. As long as you, you know, you tell yourself that you're going to get through it, um, I I really allowed myself to feel the emotion, and then that's when I started realizing that I I had to do something with the emotion, and that's when I while I when I got involved in suicide prevention. But for everybody, it's different. For sure. If you're really worried about a family member or a friend who is stuck in their grief. You could try having a conversation with them, just a nice gentle conversation over a cup of tea to see how they're going. It's possible that they may need to talk to a counsellor or, you know, maybe put them into contact with someone from standby after suicide or yep. beyond blue or you can even ring Lifeline if you need to talk about... Yep. I think that communication and conversation is really important and... Although the conversation can be difficult, once you've had the conversation, it, it can be very healing. 
find it gets easier once you've had the conversation a few conversations do you find it gets easier to then keep talking I think the more that you talk about it the less confronting the topic is I've been talking about suicide now for three years and there's still times that I find even saying the word suicide it, it seems wrong to say because yeah. and it's simply because of the stigma um, and myth as well um, we need to encourage people to talk about it because the more we talk about it the less unusual it feels it's yep. a little bit like talking about sex or <laughs> homosexuality yep. you know the, the more that we talk about it the less taboo it becomes. My main message would be that suicide prevention begins at the individual level. Mm. If everybody becomes a little bit more educated about risk factors or becomes a little bit more educated about signs of suicide, then the whole community has better tools to be able to keep an eye on one another and to be able to help each other. Yep. Suicide prevention is a... What's the right word? Having the conversation can be very confronting and very hard and there's a real myth that if you ask somebody if they are thinking of suicide that it's going to push them to suicide that is a myth <laughs> um have a hard conversation if you don't know how to have the conversation contact one of the services like lifeline um one training that you can do which is an hour training and i think everybody should do it is qpr training it's an online training it gives you a little bit of confidence on how to ask someone if they're feeling suicidal do it. Every, I think everybody should do it. It's an hour of your time and it could save your, your friend's life in the future or a family member's life in the future because suicidal ideology can happen to anyone at any time and it doesn't discriminate. I don't know. I just want to thank you for being bold and brave and coming in here and talking to us today, Danica. I think, I think you're a wonderful woman and uh, you... Are you laughing? <laughs> I do like you you know what I mean like it's it takes it's one thing to move through grief and to to work with things and it's another thing to feel uh empowered or to to talk about a story and talk about your own personal experience in 2016 2886 people died by suicide one of them was my brother and it affected his whole family and his whole community. But around Australia, on the very same day, seven other families and seven other communities were affected in the same way. The fallout from suicide is massive.